This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Once again, compelled speech has gone to court. At issue is a Kentucky promotional printer and practicing Christian. Blaine Adamson is the owner of Hands-On Originals. In 2012, he was approached by the Gann Lesbian Services Organization to print t-shirts for the Lexington Pride Festival. Adamson declined the order because of his religious beliefs regarding human sexuality. Instead, he referred them to a printer who would make the t-shirts. That was all it took for the gay organization to complain to the county's Human Rights Commission, and the commission ruled that Adamson's religious beliefs were irrelevant and that he was required to make the message. Adamson appealed, and the state's lower courts all agreed with the commission, yet finally came before the state's Supreme Court, but this time the court ruled in favor of Adamson. The unanimous ruling stated that the First Amendment prohibited compelled speech and that the issue should never have been litigated in the first place. Adamson was represented by Alliance Defending Freedom. Senior Counsel Jim Campbell is my guest on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. The Reverend Dr. Charles S. Mueller, Sr., President Emeritus of the LCMS Southeastern District, died on October the 30th. He was 90 years of age. SED President Emeritus Reverend Dr. Roy Mack described Mueller as one of the greats. And SED President Emeritus Reverend Dr. Arthur W. Shearer called him a true giant of the church. Mueller is survived by his wife, Audrey May Mueller, children Sarah Stegmuller, Charles Mueller, Jr., Amy Reuter, and Julian Punch, and by sisters Betty Ortman and Audrey Humes, siblings-in-law Eunice Sieber and Donald Prang, grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Day 16 featured damning admissions on the witness stand by Advanced Biosciences Resource Procurement Manager Perrin Larton and founder Linda Tracy, as well as other testimony as Planned Parenthood's civil trial against CMP entered its final days. The defense called ABR President Tracy to the witness stand. Tracy contradicted herself multiple times on the witness stand when asked questions that could impact Planned Parenthood's case. Tracy first tried to say that she did not discuss pricing of fetal tissue at National Abortion Federation conferences, but then faced her videotaped deposition where she testified just the opposite. Under oath and on tape and played in court, Tracy indicated her conversations at NAF included pricing baby body parts. She further testified in her deposition that at NAF, she discussed ABR's regulated tissue acquisition harvesting, for which researchers pay $6,000 per procurement. Tracy also equivocated and contradicted her deposition testimony that her conversations at NAF were not confident Proceedings continue today in San Francisco Federal District Court. Seven-year-old James Younger, whose mother enrolled him in kindergarten as a girl, has finally been able to attend school as a boy for the first time. James' parents' fight over whether he should be subjected to gender transition garnered national attention after LifeSite News and the Texan reported on the trial. Jeffrey Younger was fighting to prevent his ex-wife, Dr. Ann Georgilis, from transitioning James into Luna. The custody battle over James and his twin Jude sparked public outcry. Texas Governor Greg Abbott called for an investigation into the situation, as did other conservative leaders. Prior to the judge's ruling, James had always been with his mother, who called him Luna when attending school. Moving forward, James will be allowed to pick what name he wants to be called at school. 
Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren has released a plan pledging to fund transition-related surgery and other medical procedures for transgender military veterans. The Democratic presidential hopeful published the plan on her website yesterday. Warren included a section on LGBTQ plus service members. Specifically, her plan would provide all medically necessary care related to the health of transgender people, including transition-related surgery. Warren wrote that such a care would be covered by her signature Medicare for All plan. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Hi, I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood-Clark from Ascension Lutheran in St. Louis. And I am Pastor Jolly John Lekumski from St. Paul's in New Athens and Trinity in Darmstadt, and we welcome you to listen to Wrestling with the Basics. Matt, 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 let go of me, Matt. No, no, it's not real wrestling. We're just talking about Bible issues. No. Oh, 9.05 Saturday mornings, 8.50 a.m. KFUO. This is World Lutheran News Digest. This is Smyrna Lutheranski Novosti. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Once again, gay activists have tried to force a Christian artist to make a message that violates religious beliefs. And it's gone all the way up through the court system in one of the states. That man has been represented by Alliance Defending Freedom, Senior Counsel Jim Campbell, who is my guest today on World Lutheran News Digest. Mr. Campbell, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So uh, tell me a bit about yourself. You've got uh, quite a background. In fact, I understand you've uh, done cases very similar to this one in the past. Yeah, so I've been with Alliance Defending Freedom for over 12 years now. And throughout that time, I've had the privilege of representing a lot of people of faith around the country who are just trying to live and work consistent with their religious beliefs. So you mentioned um, that we have this case in Kentucky um, that has made its way up through the court system, but we've also represented uh, probably most notably uh, an individual named Jack Phillips, who's a cake artist in the state of Colorado, and his case went all the way up to the Supreme Court a few years ago, and he won in, in that very, very important case involving religious freedom. This one has a lot of similarities to it. This involves a case of a gentleman by the name of Blaine Adamson, who owns a custom print shop known as Hands-On Originals. Now, this started about 12 years ago, this complaint. What happened, and how did it take so long to finally get itself adjudicated? 
So um, the case arose in in 2012, uh, and Blaine received a call from a local uh, pride organization that was having a a gay pride festival, and they asked him to create shirts with a message promoting that festival. It was something that because of his religious beliefs, he couldn't do, Um, but like he does with every order that he can't print because of the message, he offered to connect them to another print shop that would do the work for the same price he would have charged. Unfortunately, the group wasn't interested in that. They preferred to go to the local government and file a complaint against Blaine and his company. And it took many, many years for that case to wind its way up through the Kentucky court system, where eventually Blaine and his company won. My understanding is, is that the, uh, the Human Rights Commission in that, in that county said that he was indeed discriminating, and then it went up through the court system. All the courts upheld the discrimination against him. Supreme Court of the state, however, reversed it, and I think they said it for a number, of, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that the First Amendment prohibits compelled speech, and secondly, I think there was a ruling that said that this case never should have gone to court to begin with. So the the there were two decisions that the court wrote. There was a, the majority, which is a unanimous decision, and then there was what they call a concurring uh, opinion, which was written by one of the justices. So the entire court agreed that this case never should have happened. Um, they said that the, the local law there only allows cases to be brought by individuals, but this case was brought by an organization, and that simply wasn't proper. Um, but in addition, one other justice went further and said that what the government was doing here to Blaine Adamson and his company was violating their First Amendment freedoms. They were forcing them to print messages that violate their beliefs. Um, and that freedom is, is vital. It's protected by the First Amendment, and it's good for everyone. It's not just protection for people of faith, um, but the same protection that ensures Blaine Adamson won't be forced to print messages that violate his faith also ensures that an LGBT printer won't be forced to print messages that, for example, oppose same-sex marriage. My understanding is that he received a lot of support from the state attorney generals and different uh, and different organizations, including one print shop that's owned and operated by lesbians. That's that's absolutely true. So when we went to the Kentucky Supreme Court, uh, over 10 states around the country, their attorney generals filed briefs in support of Blaine and his company, and that was significant support. But as you also mentioned, uh, from the very beginning of this case, there are two lesbian print shop owners in the state of New Jersey that came out and were openly in support of Blaine and his company. They said right at the outset that he shouldn't be forced to print messages that violate his beliefs, just like they shouldn't be forced to print messages that violate what they think um, is true and correct. Also, Blaine, my understanding is that Blaine has actually done business with homosexuals and uh, lesbians in the past. In fact, he has actually done some uh, T-shirts for a lesbian artist, I believe. That, that's that's absolutely true. One of the things we've always emphasized in this case is that this case is about the message, not the person. So when Blaine's deciding whether to print a message and whether to print an order, it all comes down to what the message on the shirt is. He's not concerned with who the person is that's, that's requesting it. And so in this case, um, the message on the shirt was one that conflicted with his beliefs, so he couldn't do it. But in other cases, he has printed materials for people who identify as LGBT. In fact, as you mentioned, he's printed for a lesbian musician who performed at the very Pride Festival at issue in this case. And so that clearly shows that what matters to Blaine is the message, not the person who's requesting it. 
Also, uh, he has been very upfront about the fact that his is a Christian print shop, I believe. Is that correct? It's uh, If you go to their website, you see that one of the divisions they have within the company is the Christian Outfitters division. So, so yeah, it is, it's very clear that this is a, a Christian-run company. This is an organization that strives to live consistent with the owner's religious beliefs. Um, and, in fact, they print 70% of the orders that they print are within that Christian Outfitters division and, and thus express messages promoting Christ and his church. And that, of course... Uh brings into question, why did this particular organization go to his particular print shop? Sounds to me like he was targeted. We're not sure. Uh, we're not sure why they, they went to Blaine, but what we know is they requested a message that violated his beliefs and that the First Amendment ensures he can't be forced to print that. And so uh, we're, we're thankful that this case is now over. Uh, we're thankful that, uh, and, we're, and we're hopeful that Blaine can now get back to the work that he loves to do uh, and that people will allow him to do that and that people within that local community will respect each other's differences, will respect that some people hold different views and will allow each other to live consistent with their own beliefs. Has his business suffered during the past seven years because of this suit? Initially, um, it, there were there were some significant hits to the business. There were a lot of uh, big customers that, that pulled their orders and said that they didn't want to work with hands-on originals anymore. So it was unfortunate at the outset. But what we've seen over time is, is as, as more people have learned the facts of the case and have learned that, you know, Blaine does, in fact, work with everyone, uh, that a lot of customers have come back. And so in the end, um, you know, at this point, the business is doing fairly well. Um, but, yes, initially because of the calls for boycotts and the – um, harassment that they were receiving on the internet, they did receive a significant dip in business. A number of similar cases have arisen in states recently. There was Russian, Russian Nib in, I believe it was, uh, was that uh, Phoenix in Arizona? There is, yeah. of course, the case of Arlene's Flowers in uh, Washington State. And then, of course, you mentioned Jack Phillips. A lot of these cases now are coming to the foreground, and uh, eventually I think the Supreme Court might have to come up with a blanket ruling. So far, they haven't done that, is, is my reading of the uh, of the case, especially in the case both of uh, Arlene's Flowers and of Masterpiece Cake Shop. Are they going to have to, that's going to go back to the Supreme Court. I understand both uh, Jack and uh, Baron L. Stutzman have appealed again to the Supreme Court. Well, Baronel has appealed to the Supreme Court um, back in September. We asked the U.S. Supreme Court to hear her case and to decide this very broad and I should say this very important question, um, which is if you have a creative professional who's willing to serve everyone like Blaine does and like Baronel does, but they just don't want to make custom items that express messages or celebrate events that violate their faith. Do they have the right to do that? And um, we have a number of courts recently, the Arizona Supreme Court in the Brush and Nib case that you just mentioned. We also have a federal court of appeals in the Telescope Media case out of the state of Minnesota. And so we're, we're seeing a number of decisions that are actually addressing that question and deciding and declaring that people do have a First Amendment right to operate consistent with their religious beliefs. And now we're just waiting for the U.S. Supreme Court to step in and make it clear for the whole country. Well, that's that's what I'm questioning here, is that this really boils down to a First Amendment issue. And that is a federal ruling. It should apply to all 50 states. 
What we're seeing now is sort of a piecemeal uh, case where it's going up from this state, from that state, from the other state. And that seems to me, again, one of the reasons why the Supreme Court was created was to adjudicate these issues so they would apply to all states equally. That's one of the Supreme Court's most important roles is to provide uniformity throughout the law for everyone within the country. Um, And so that's one of the reasons why we're pressing um, so much to ensure that one of these cases gets to the Supreme Court in order to enable them to address this question and make this point clear, that if you are a creative professional and you're willing to serve everyone, but you just decline certain messages uh, because you disagree with them or because they violate your faith, that the First Amendment guarantees your right to do that. But the argument has been that a service organization should serve everyone equally. Now, obviously, this is not the case with these people. Mr. Adamson, where he says, no, I can't serve this particular message. How is that argument uh, countered? So the key is um, whether you're declining to serve a person or whether you're declining to print or promote or create a message. If, if you're motivated by the message, then you have a First Amendment right to decline that. If instead you say, I refuse to work with you, you particular person, because of something about you, well, then that is something that the Constitution doesn't protect. And so in all of our cases, uh, whether you look at Blaine Adamson or Jack Phillips or Baron Ralph Stutzman, they're willing to serve all people. The question is, what are they being asked to create and what are they being asked to celebrate? And so, for example, in this case, the organization came to Blaine Adamson and said, we'd like a shirt with this message promoting this Pride Festival. Well, that wasn't a message he could print, but he could create other materials for that group. And so that shows that what he's acting on is his First Amendment freedom, and he's not, in fact, turning people away because of who they are. Now, in Blaine Adamson's case, it was actually a written message. But we look at Jack Phillips, where he makes custom wedding cakes. And we look at Baronel Stutzman, who creates floral arrangements. This is not the same as writing out a message, is it? Or has the court decided that it is? Well, it, it's certainly not the same, but the First Amendment protects more than just written words. And so the First Amendment not only protects written words, but it also protects uh, symbols. It also protects expressive acts. Um, and so in the case of, for example, a wedding cake, a wedding cake is the iconic image uh, representing the fact that this couple has been married and that this union is a is a marriage and that this event is a wedding. And and. People like Mr. Phillips, who believe that marriage is only the union of man and a woman, they can't in good faith express the message that the union between two people of the same sex is, in fact, uh, a wedding. And so by forcing them to create custom art that sends that message, they're being forced to violate their conscience. And the First Amendment now has been defined to say that not only uh, that free speech not only allows a person to speak their mind, but also prohibits compelled speech. My, my understanding is the Supreme Court has actually said that explicitly. Supreme Court has said that time and time again. So, yeah, oftentimes when we think of our First Amendment freedom of speech, we think well, we're allowed to say what we want to. And that is true. But there's a flip side to that, which is that the government can't force us to say what we don't believe or what we don't agree with. And so that's the freedom that's that's so directly at issue in all of these cases. Um, and so whether you're a printer or whether you're a filmmaker or whether you're a photographer, all of those are forms of expression and art. And the government can't come in and 
tell you to express support for a particular view of marriage through your art any more than it can force you to do that through the words you speak. So we're going to see at least the case of Baron Earl Stutzman with Arlene's flowers going back to the Supreme Court. The court had originally ruled that it had the state of Washington had to uh, had to do it again, had to go through the, the state Supreme Court there, had to rule again, taking into consideration the rulings that it made in the case of Jack Phillips. Apparently, the Supreme Court of the state of Washington simply kicked the case right back again and said, no, we... we we still think that she's guilty, and she kicked it back up to the Supreme Court. So we are looking at, I think, a very major ruling here. Traditionally, the courts, the Supreme Court tends to sidestep or do some very narrow rulings. I'm wondering if perhaps you might be seeing a more broad ruling this time around. Well, first, we have, we're hoping that the court will agree to take the case. So that's step one, and we should find out about that early next year, uh, early in 2020. Um, But if the court does agree to take it, that's exactly what we're hoping for. We're hoping that the court will look at this issue. We'll look around the country and see that there are many people of faith and even people who don't hold particular religious beliefs that are being affected by what governments are doing. In other words, there are many people who are happy to serve everyone um, and they're creative professionals. They create are they write words and images and create things like that and they're willing to serve everyone but they just can't create certain messages and now they're in a position where they don't know what their rights are and so some of them are voluntarily uh, leaving their industries and giving up their businesses and that's simply not fair and what we need is for the supreme court to step in and make it clear through a broad ruling that if you're willing to serve everyone and you just don't want to promote or support messages, that that's okay and that the Constitution ensures your right to do that. And hopefully they'll do that through the Arlene Flowers case on behalf of Baron L. Stutzman. Yet we're seeing on state and local levels increasing attempts to force speech. We, we undoubtedly are. Um, unfortunately, we're seeing attempts by the government to come in and say that if you're a creative professional, you must make um, whatever is requested of you. If, if it's a message that somehow touches on particular topics that the government likes, that the government's coming in and forcing people to speak on that. And that simply is not consistent with what the First Amendment guarantees to all of us, which is that we can determine the messages that we want to express. And if we're asked to express something that we don't agree with, that the First Amendment ensures we're able to say no. We're seeing a lot of militant opposition, I'm thinking specifically of Arlene Flowers' case, where they're not just trying to force her to do the floral arrangement. They're, they're trying to punish her. They're trying to take away her home, her life savings, and her business. So that's one of the things that we really want to make clear that people understand, particularly in Baronelle's case, is that there is an effort to not only uh, force people to speak, but to really financially destroy them if they won't. And so in Baronelle's case, she wasn't just sued in her person or in her business capacity as a business owner. She was actually sued in what's called her personal capacity. And so the order, the judgment against her in that case comes after her in her, both her business and her personal capacity, which means that if she ultimately loses that case, that she could be forced to pay her opponent's attorney's fees, which are going to be well over a half a million dollars uh, out of her own personal um, income and her own personal bank account. And so that's, that should be chilling to anyone who is thinking about these cases and the implication of these cases. 
because it's not just a simple live and let live. Let's get on with our lives. These are attempts to to ruin and crush people simply because they hold a different belief about marriage and they want to live consistent with those. Could you uh, tell people how to find out about Alliance Defending Freedom? You're involved in a lot of cases like this, your organization. How can people find out about Alliance Defending Freedom? What cases are before you and how you are handling them and how they can get in touch with you? The best way is to to go to our website, adflegal.org. Again, I'll say that again, www.adflegal.org. And if they go there, they can find out about the various cases we work on, the different issues we work on, and they can learn more about our organization, what we're doing, and how to support us. ADF has been around for a long time, and you've scored, uh, have a very impressive uh, victory score. We win a little less than 80% of our cases, so generally speaking, we do well, and we've had a, a nice streak recently at the U.S. Supreme Court uh, where we've won nine cases since 2011. Um, and we currently have a case there right now that we're hoping for uh, a good outcome in that can get us our 10th win since 2011. What is that case? Uh, the case is uh, involving a funeral homeowner who um, had an employee that was working for him for uh, about six years. And then the employee came in one day and indicated that he was going to start dressing and presenting as a woman and submitted that proposal and our client said that that wasn't going to work because he had a in place a uh, dress code a sex specific dress code and that would violate it and so anyways the the case has now made its way all the way up to the u.s supreme court and the question is a pretty simple one which is there's a federal law that says employers can't discriminate on the basis of sex And our opponents in the case want to read that law to include not discrimination against men because they're men or women because they're women, but actually discrimination against people based on gender identity and transgender status. And so it's an attempt to use the court system to redefine the law in order to um, uh, include this concept of gender identity within the law. A huge decision will be made on that one. Mr. Campbell, I want to thank you very much for appearing on the program and explaining these issues, and let's see what happens in the future. Thanks for having me. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.